the father of eight, the uh, grandfather of 22 so far, and uh, we're looking for the Lord to continue to prosper and bless. Um, I have to confess that I'm very nervous. Um, You know, I find it's very intimidating to stand behind this desk and talk to this group. I don't know if the other men feel the same way, but here we have a pastor who's such a great pastor teacher. He's like a master chef that each week he prepares a, a great meal and he serves it every Sunday. And you guys are used to getting this spiritual nourishment that he gives. And here comes me, and I can make cheese toast and boil eggs, and that's about it. Maybe I can make a sandwich, and hopefully you'll enjoy this sandwich this morning. Um, one of the things about me is I like, to, I like to tell jokes. I like to make people laugh. And I don't know if you've heard the story about the pastor who was celebrating his 25th anniversary at the church in, in the pastorate. He'd been in the same church for 25 years. They had planned this uh, big festivity with a luncheon and invited uh, people to come uh, to sing and, uh, and praise God and, and just honor this man. So he'd bought a, a new suit for the occasion, and, and he was getting it on and uh, you know, putting it on, and he was finishing things up, and he was putting his tie on, and as he was putting his tie on, his tie clip fell, and it bounced and went into the closet, and he went down and on his hands and knees and tried to find it, and it was on his wife's side of the closet, and he, it was right beside a wicker basket that had a towel over it. And he got this wicker basket and he held it in his hand and he pulled the towel back and there's five eggs and there's this envelope stuffed with money. And about that time he's looking at this and his wife walks in and she gets kind of red faced and says, oh, you found it. He said, yeah, what is this? He said, she said, well, every time you preached a sermon that wasn't very good, I put an egg in the basket the pastor thought, well, you know, five eggs, 25 years, that's, that's not bad. He, he said, well, what's all this money? She says, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them. <laughs> so I, hopefully we won't get any eggs this morning. But, uh, you know, the passage we're going to look at this morning, uh, um, actually, I had... I had the pastor asked me if I would speak, and I tried to give him these excuses about why I couldn't do it. You know, I'm, when I have spoken, it's usually 15 or 20 minutes, and I got a whole hour to fill. And, and he just said, why don't you preach on Proverbs 3? He kind of just ignored everything I was saying. He said, why don't you preach on Proverbs 3? And I said, okay. So we're going to be looking at Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Um, I've really appreciated the past, the messages that Loring has provided us the last couple of weeks on the worldview, the view that the world has of where things are. You know, there are two real worldviews, the worldview of the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the worldview from God the Father. You know, uh, Satan, he is the father of it's either you have the Father as Satan, or you have the Father as God. And not everyone who's over here on the Father of Satan worships Satan. Some of them are very good, reputable people, but they, they just um, 
they don't acknowledge God. They don't appreciate God. They don't, they have not had their eyes enlightened and been opened, made alive into spiritual things. That's, uh, that's over here. And over on this side, we have God the Father, how He brings children into His family by being born again. So those are the two families of all the people. You know, the world claims that the Christians are extremists, biblical Christians, that is. There's lots of people, so-called Christians, that really don't have a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who are biblical Christians, we're called extremists. We're even called domestic terrorists these days. And it's not because we are so extreme. You know, God is immutable. He does not mutate, is what that means. He never changes. He is always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. We can always go to Him. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's, uh, you know, he's like the mother hen who puts the chicks under the wings. He is the one that we can rely on, whether, no matter how big a storm is going on outside, He is the one. If we find ourselves away from God, guess who moved? You know, God didn't move. He's immutable. And now we have this world who is so far on the other side over here that they think we are extreme. And it's really them. So these are the two families that that Loring has been talking about. This morning, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, and whom he delighteth. So now we want to look a little deeper at each uh, verse here. You know, sometimes when you look at the, the words and the word origins, you, it adds great insight to the passage or to the word that you're looking at. For instance, the word politics. Poly is a Latin word that means many. And ticks are little blood-sucking parasites. <laughs> so, you know, it adds great insight when you know this, right? You know, um, so my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. My son. Immediately we're in a family setting. We have Solomon speaking, and we have God who's directed Solomon to speak. It's an intimate family setting, you know. Uh, 
It's not so much that God is speaking down from heaven, my son, you know, forget not my law. This is an intimate setting. This is a, this is a father speaking to his son, speaking to his child, and encouraging them and instructing them because there's a world out there that is different than the family that they're in. So he's speaking to us. Our Father is speaking to us. Forget not. The Hebrew word here, you're going to notice that I don't speak, I'm not going to give you the Hebrew word because I really can't pronounce most of them. So we're just going to talk about the, the word that's translated as forget not. It's a Hebrew word that's been found in the Scriptures in 95 different verses 102 times in the Old Testament. It means to mislay or be oblivious to or cause to be forgotten or or to be distracted from. Our focus is shifted to the wrong place. Um, Many of the 102 times this word is used is used as an accusation against God. You know, David... He's considered a man after God's own heart. But he said, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? You know, we get in these situations and we feel like God has just left us. And we are distraught. And we, we lift our voices up to Him. And we give these accusations to Him. That's the forget not. That's the negative. God wants us not to forget. You know, it's an active thing on our part. Um, It's not so much an infirmity of our memory, but a willful disobedience or a loss of focus on what we should be looking at. We get distracted by the world in the flesh and the devil. So the love of the world and the distractions that it brings uh, causes us to not Stay focused and be mindful of God. Then the law, I can pronounce this Hebrew word, Torah is the word here. And it was interesting when I was studying this week that the word Torah is derived from a word that means archery. Torah means teaching or command. Archery implies that the teacher has a specific target. He has something that he wants to teach us that's specific about us. And that's God working in our lives. You know, you've, you've heard about God working with a chisel and, and, and making us into the uh, thing that He wants us to be, you know, to be more Christ-like. That's what this word uh, Torah means, teachings, commandments, instructions, law. Um, our loving, merciful Heavenly Father aims to hit the target with that arrow as He teaches us the things that He wants us to learn, as He molds us, as He makes us, as He uh, puts us on the paths that He wants us to be on. He is actively working in our lives. That's an awesome thought. You know, the true and living God who made heaven and earth and all that in them is cares for me enough to be active in my life and in your life. That's truly an awesome thought. Then there's the word heart. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. This word is basically the command center of our very being. You know, it's our mind, our will, our um, 
emotions and affections. This is everything that drives us. It's the heart that is usually the first thing to be pulled away from God. And then God works on the heart, and it's the first thing that's pulled back to God. God works. It's the thing that we most, we have to guard the most in our lives. We need to keep our focus on God and His commandments as members of His fa- family. Excuse me. Uh, it's the most vulnerable place that we have. The, then there's the commandments. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. The commandments are instructions or directions or orders. So whose commandments? Uh, our Father's, our Heavenly Father's commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Then verse 2, it says, For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Shall they add to thee, forgetting not the law, and let thine heart keep my commandments. Length of days and long life and peace they shall add to thee. Length of days and long life. This is not so much a promise of obedience, uh, for obedience to God's Word that He'll give this to you, but it's more of a result. When we, when we do forget not His law, but let, the, uh, but let our heart keep His commandments, then as a result, we're going to have long life and peace. You know, that's typical. It's not in every case, but it is typical. Living in a way that will please our Savior and please our Heavenly Father will also be beneficial to this creation that He's made, you know, that by obeying Him, we'll have health and wellness. And He gives some uh, other verses later on in the passage. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Mercy and truth. You know, God is the personification of mercy and truth, or His Son is the personification of, of mercy and truth. It's, there is no mercy and truth found in our unregenerate flesh. Uh, that's not us. I, you know, having grandchildren, I uh, get the opportunity sometimes to watch movies with, the grand, you know, with them. And one of my uh, favorites was Finding Nemo. And uh, I remember watching that the first time, and then, uh, they got this scene on the beach, and then these seagulls, and they're flying around, mine, 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 mine. You know, that's, they're so selfish and self-centered and self-focused, you know. That's us. We are self-centered. We are self-focused. We have things that we need. That's why sometimes we cry out to God, you know, why have you done this? You know, and uh, so it's, it, that's us. When we need, when we do show mercy and truth, when we exhibit that quality, we are merely re- reflecting what God the Father is doing in our lives. So if, if we are His children, we're going to eventually show a family resemblance. God is mercy and truth. And when we show mercy and truth, we show a resemblance to God, our Heavenly Father. Bind them about thy neck. 
the virtue of mercy and truth that come from God are to become part of us inwardly. And then they'll project outwardly in our behavior. It's like for, it's for all to see, it's an adornment. Around our neck, we have this, we are making an adornment that we are, um, have Christ-likeness. God is working in our lives to make that happen as His children. Write them about the tables of thine heart. We do this by committing God's Word to memory and meditating upon it. This is, um, Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yes, thy law is within my heart. Verse 4, So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. If we let not mercy and truth forsake us, if we bind them about our necks, if we write them upon the table of our heart, then so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. This verse describes the result of doing verse 3. The word sight is interesting. It means to look eye to eye, to look in the eye. You know, I remember raising my children when they would do something wrong, they would come to me. They know discipline was coming in one form or another, and they would not look me in the eye. And I would have to, you know, look me in the eye. Sometimes I'd have to take, their, take my hand on either side of their face and lift it so they would look me in the eye. So when we're right with God, we, can't, we, we really can't look at God because He is so holy. But because we are His children, we can exhibit that quality of knowing Him, having that intimacy with Him. You know, it's, uh, we can look at Him. If we can look at God in the eye, we can look at others. Uh, we cannot be right before men if we are not right with God as children of our Heavenly Father. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. These are some of my favorite verses. These are my go-to verses whenever I go through a storm in my life, one way or another. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, Mere Christianity. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. That is who we are to trust completely. The one who is immeasurably superior in every way to ourselves. Um, we are nothing compared to Him. And we are to do that with everything that is in us. That's what Dispatcher says. But you know, 
I find this very difficult to do. Lean not unto thine own understanding is the next part of the verse. And it's because of that. You know, it's either or. You either trust God or you lean on your own understanding. Sometimes we try to do both. But we can't serve two masters, you know. Um, in the storms of life, when we these come up upon our lives, all we can do sometimes is watch the storm get worse and worse. And we feel so helpless because there's things that we cannot control going on around us. It's times like this when we actually have drifted away from God. God is still right there, but we've drifted. And the last time this happened to me was, um, and it's happened many times, almost in every storm I've had, was last year. Our, my son, John, uh, Stephen, and Stephen John, and his wife, Alyssa, they had had a miscarriage the, uh, a year or two prior, and they were expecting their fourth child. And this was getting, we were days away from the due date. And um, my daughter, my granddaughter, oldest granddaughter, Joanna, was going to fly to Ohio and help them uh, with, the other, with the three smaller children while she came home from the hospital with a baby. And then um, Linda and I were going to go after a week or so, and we were going to visit and, and see our new grandchild and and uh, just, uh, we always enjoy having time with them. So we were praying for Alyssa and Stephen the whole pregnancy. And then we got a phone call that there was a problem going on and, uh, in the pregnancy. Here it is days from the, uh, the birth of this child or the expected due date. And so we prayed and we prayed. And then we got a word that she had gone to the hospital and the baby uh, had died in the womb. That was a very hard thing, very hard. So we, we uh, drove to Ohio and to be there for the funeral. And, you know, there's nothing more touching than to watch a father carry this little casket out of the sanctuary at the end of the service. It was just a very emotional time. And I remember getting up and speaking, and uh, what did I say? I said, God, why? Why did you do this? This is not what I prayed. These, you know, Alyssa does not deserve this, Lord. This is so hurtful. We had wanted this child to come. Why? You know, it's really started, I think it's, I'm starting to lean on my own understanding with that. When I read this passage about how David, you know, why did you forget me, O Lord? You know, when I read passages like this, it kind of, misery loves company. And so I, I kind of feel a little bit encouraged that I'm not the only one who does this, you know. We, we question God sometimes. But what we have to do is we have to let God be God. If I were God, things would be different. They'd be a whole lot worse in this world. I'll tell you that. 
But God knows the beginning from the end, and we have to let Him be God. He is sovereign. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. When we go through these storms, we have to remember that. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We just have to keep remembering that. And all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. God wants us to acknowledge him in our lives. That word acknowledge means to know him. And you see this word to know in Scripture. A lot of times it's, it's between the, you know, a husband and a wife coming together. To know. It's, a, it's an intimate thing. Um, it's to intimately be acquainted with God. To intimately know Him. To, to Him to be our Abba Father. You know? He is, um, this is truly an awesome thought that, that He is our Father. Why would He want me and His family? I don't know. But He put me there, and I am so thankful and grateful. God is working on us. His arrows of instruction are going to hit their mark, and they're going to accomplish the purposes. He's going to continue to direct our paths, and each member of His family has a purpose. I've, I think I've told the story before, but I like the story, so I'll tell it again. It's, uh, we had family, this was years ago, our oldest grandson is Reuben, and Reuben is now, I think, 16, 15 or 16, and, um, but he was just learning to walk, and we had family from Virginia come and visit, and so we decided to, to go do something, you know, so we went to a New England fair, I think it was the uh, Washington County Fair. And they had the tractor pulls and all this good stuff, you know. And, and uh, so we were at a tractor pull, and, and Reuben, he had just learned to walk. And um, so I, I asked Brandy if I could take him for a walk because he was getting kind of antsy sitting in the stadium there, and it was so loud. And uh, so she said, sure. And at first I, I grabbed Reuben's hand, and we're walking together hand in hand. And that was so nice, you know, a grandfather and his grandson walking. But soon, Reuben pushes his, my hand away from his. My do it myself. <laughs> you know, he's going he's to walk. So, my do it myself. And so he started walking, and I'm walking beside him. And he starts walking towards this group of people. I don't want, you know, it's, it's people that I don't know. I don't want him over there. So I, I just put myself in front of him so he can't walk that way. And then he starts walking this way. And then I do it again so he can't walk that way. And so I, I direct his steps. And it hit me that that's what God does in our lives. He puts himself or he puts something else in our way. He brings things into our lives that will direct our steps as his child. He has a purpose in our life and his purposes will be accomplished. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In this verse, there is one negative command and two positive commands. Stop being wise in thine own eyes, or don't start. 
Romans 12:16 says this, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in thine own conceits. And then Jesus had a teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. (laughs) And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto, or excuse me, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. When we are wise in our own understanding, we are like the foolish man. We need to trust God in everything. Then it says, fear the Lord. And that word means continually. We always need to fear the Lord. Always. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Psalm 112, verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Then it says, Depart from evil. Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 34, verses 14 and 15 say, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are upon Uh, will hear upon their cry. Then it says in verse 8, it shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. What does that mean? You know, the navel is just a scar. It doesn't do anything in our bodies. It's just a scar. It's, It's a remnant reminding us that we were born of woman and we were, you know, we had an umbilical cord. But you know, that's what that verse means. That's what that word means. It means umbilical cord. It's only found two times in Scripture. The second time it's found is in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4. And he's talking about Jerusalem. He's given a picture, a very vivid picture of Jerusalem and how he found them and how he, how he saw them. He says, um, And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. Thou was not washed. Thou was not swaddled. You were unwanted. And you were tossed into a field. And then I came along and made you a great nation. That's, that's the word navel. The navel was not cut. It's the umbilical cord. You know, the umbilical cord provides oxygen and nutrients to the baby during the uh, time that it's in the womb. And it will, um, and it is cut and removed once the baby is born. Then the marrow to the bones. Bone marrow is a soft, fatty tissue inside the bones of your body. 
Bone marrow contains cells that produce blood cells and platelets, and that is responsible for making billions of cells every day, new blood cells every day, billions. If something happens to the baby's umbilical cord so that it can't function properly, or if something happens to our bone marrow so that it can't produce the things that it's designed, it's designed by the great creator to do, we are in a world of trouble. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to, you know, be good. Then it says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst with new wine. You know, God's part in our lives is not what's left over after we pay all the bills. God wants the first fruits. God has given us everything that we have. But He wants the first fruits. He deserves them. Um, our giving to Him honors Him. Worship to God, it is really a form of worship because worship to God entails three books. We have God's book, the Bible. We have the hymn book, and then we have the checkbook. It's a form of worship to God that we give Him the first fruits. Uh, our giving as part of our, our giving, as part of our responsible stewardship of God's provision in our lives it's not an attempt to bribe God so that we can get blessings from Him uh, or ensure our own wealth because it says here, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. It is a grateful response to our Abba Father of all that He has given us. And as our Father, as He sees fit, He will provide for, for our needs. He will provide for our needs. He may not make us rich. We may not have barns that are overflowing, but He will provide and He will meet the need. This is not a prosperity gospel. God knows our hearts. And if we are, um, if our hearts are um, covetous, He's not going to honor that. We can't bribe God. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Chastening, discipline, instruction, the purpose of of chastening is to correct, to teach, or instruct. God's chisel is chipping away the bad and the unnecessary in our lives so that He can make us a Christ-like creation, so that we can more resemble Him as members of His family. Back in 2006, 
I had had a very sudden hearing loss after having years of problem with my eyes. The hearing loss um, from October, where I had noticed a small decrease, to February when I was deaf and couldn't hear. Um, and it was so, it was, my hearing was so volatile that they didn't want to give me hearing aids. I could hear with amplification, so I had to wear this little pocket talker. And then I got very sick. Um, and it was a very bad time in my life. And somebody sent me um, an email and this little story that I'll, I bring it out every now and then and read it. It seems that a pastor was visiting a silversmith. And in a very short period of time, um, excuse me, and then as he held up a piece of silver, um, he put it in the fire and he started to heat it up. And the silversmith explained to the pastor, he said, the silver has to be in the very center of the fire where it's the hottest in order to, for all the impurities to burn away. And the pastor thought about it and he said, remember Malachi 3.3 where God is trying to, is purifying and refining the Levites and he said he sits as a refiner and purifier of fire, in a purifier uh, of silver. So he has to remember that. And he said, is it true that you have to sit um, there with the silver the whole time that it's there? And he said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Not only do I have to sit here the whole time that this silver is in the fire, I have to watch it very closely. If it gets too cool, the impurities will not be burned away. If it gets too hot, it could be ruined. I have to be there and watch it the entire time that it's in the fire. The pastor then asked, well, how do you know the refining is complete? He said, oh, that's easy. I can see my reflection in it. When we're in a situation where we say, God, why did you do this? Why did you forsake me? Why did you leave me? And when you're in the middle of that fire, God never left. He's right there. He's watching you the whole time to accomplish His purposes in your life. It's a very strong analogy, and I'll never forget it. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. He is molding us for His purposes so that we might be a vessel that's fit for His use. While I was studying this week, I came across a quote from Martin Luther. I don't typically read Martin Luther, but um, I thought this was a very profound quote. It says this about our Christian life, our life as a child of God. This life is not godliness, but growth in godliness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, 
but exercise. We are not now what we shall be, but we are on the way. The process is not yet finished, but it has begun. This is not the goal, but it is the road. At present, all does not gleam and glitter, but everything is being purified. This passage we've been looking at this morning as a father is, is, is looking, it's a family thing, a father speaking to his child. Uh, perhaps there's someone here or someone who's listening in on the streaming who's not yet a member of the family, who hasn't been uh, born again into the family, uh, who's not been cleansed of your sin um, by the gift of pure grace from God. You see, God is pure and holy. Nothing short of purity and holiness can enter into His presence. We are not pure and holy. None of us, not even from birth, even that sweet, innocent little child uh, is, is pure and holy. We are sinners. We're born with a sin nature. Each and every one of us, we who are now members of the family of God and everyone else in the world, we are um, sinners. We need to be saved. <laughs> well, saved from what? Yes. In a real sense, it's saved from God. You know? Uh, saved from condemnation. Saved from God's judgment of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death is eternal separation from God. God is the one who personifies mercy and grace. And if we're separated from Him, there is no mercy. There is no grace. It's all judgment in our lives. But God loved us so much that He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He made a way for our sins to be paid for, for us to be pure and holy so that we could be in His presence. Amazing grace. Amazing. Even while we were still in our sins, God loved us, and He made a way for us to be with Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In the next verse, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God has made a tremendous sacrifice on our behalf. And if you don't accept that gift from Him, you're condemned. We are each and every one condemned. For He hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. 
Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us on the cross so that we might make, take the, the righteousness of God and place it upon ourselves or that God does that. God will take the righteousness of God and place it upon us. What a tremendous transaction is that, that God made a way. You know, at the beginning of the message, I mentioned that we are either a member of God's family or a member of the family who has Satan as a father. Not that you are a bad, uh, evil person, but God made a way in Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We hear this saying all the time in, this, in the present world that we live in, my truth, my truth. I'm talking about the truth. The devil is the, is the father of the my truth. He's deceiving so many people with that philosophy. It's the truth. When we agree with God that we are a sinner and we repent of our sins, and we turn from them, and we turn to God. That's what repent really is. And believe God when He tells us that His Son bore our sins on the cross. He paid for them. Then the transaction's completed, and we take on the pure and holy righteousness of our Savior. The penalty of our sin has been paid, and God has been satisfied. The righteousness of the Lord is put upon us and we are born again into the family of God. We who were once members of the family that had Satan as its father are now members of the family of God. And God will be working on us. And all your ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy paths. So let's go pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, our Abba, Lord, we are so grateful that you loved us even while we were sinners. It's such an awesome thought, Lord, to think that a true and living God who made heaven and earth and all that in them is, cares enough for us to be actively working in our lives. Lord, we are saved and brought into your family for a purpose. Help us, Lord, to get out of our comfort zones. Lord, we can't walk on water if we don't get out of the boat. Help us, Father, to do what you would have us to do and trust you and lean not on our understanding. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.